welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 491. To know about my personal affairs, my comings and goings, she scowled a bit. But he doesn't. I'm willing to concede some of that for now. She reached out and took hold of my upper arm possessively. But you are not part of the bargain, she said, her voice almost fierce. You are mine. Mine alone. I don't intend to share you. The momentary tension passed, and we walked the wide west road away from Severn, laughing and talking of small things. Half a mile past the city's last inn was a quiet patch of trees with a single tall grey stone nestled in its centre. We had found it while searching for wild strawberries, and it had become one of our favourite places to escape the noise and stink of the city. Dennis sat at the base of the greystone and put her back against it. Then she brought her harp out of its case and pulled it close to her chest, causing her dress to gather and expose a scandalous amount of leg. She arched an eyebrow at me and smirked as if she knew exactly what I was thinking. Nice harp, I said casually. She snorted indelicately. I sat where I was, sprawling comfortably on the long, cool grass. I tugged a few strands of it out of the ground and idly began to twist them together into a braid. Honestly, I was nervous. While we had spent a great deal of time together over the last month, I'd never heard Denna play anything of her own creation. We had sung together, and I knew she had a voice like honey and warm bread. I knew her fingers were sure, and she had a musician's timing. But writing a song isn't the same as playing one. What if hers wasn't any good? What would I say? Denna spread her fingers to the strings, and my worries faded to the background. I've always found something powerfully erotic about the way a woman puts her hands to a harp. She began a rolling gliss down the strings from high to low. The sound of it was like hammers on bells, like water over stones, like birdsong through air. She stopped and tuned a string, plucked, tuned, she struck a sharp chord, a hard chord, a lingering chord, then turned to look at me, flexing her fingers nervously. Are you ready? You're incredible, I said. I saw her flush a little, then brush her hair back to hide her reaction. Fool, I haven't played you anything yet. You're incredible all the same. Hush. She struck a hard chord and let it fade into a quiet melody. As it rose and fell, she spoke the introduction to her song. I was surprised at such a traditional opening. Surprised but pleased. Old ways are best. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. And before we get into like the nitty gritty close reading, something that I really like about this page is the role it takes in this scene. We start out with kind of a tense conversation. Both of the characters are a little bit nervous or anxious and it builds to a moment and then it kind of eases off and they have a, 
a kind of awkward like icebreaker where they talk about like any other men in your life. And it seems like things are getting back to normal. It seems like maybe they're not going to have a big blow up. It seems like maybe they're just going to like, they start flirting, they start bantering again. So we get lulled into this false sense of safety of like the tense moment in the scene has passed. Now they're going to have a nice time. And then it gets much, much worse after she plays the song. And uh, I think that's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. How do you guys read the passage where Denna holds his arm possessively and says, you are mine, mine alone. I don't intend to share you. I think of that as her simply claiming her agency, right? Like she said before that she doesn't want a traditional patron because she doesn't want to feel like beholden to some guy and wear his colors. And like, you know, we've, we've seen over and over again, the links that Dennis prepared to go to in her life to make sure that she is not tied down by anybody or beholden to anybody. And I feel like this is another expression of that, of her kind of, even though she's found herself a patron and she does a lot of things for that patron, he doesn't own her. He doesn't get to dictate who she can and can cannot hang out with what she gets to do in her personal time. Well, what I was thinking when I, I read that scene is it's something that she can somehow say to him, but he could never say to her. Like it would come mm. off so differently. That's true. It would come off as like sexist. Yeah. But also why? And so many, so many things about their relationship. Cause really if, if her saying to him, like you're mine and that's, and that's like a possessive, but also loving gesture it's possible that that's what she wants him to reciprocate to her. It's possible that this could be like a treat someone as you want to be treated sort of situation, but it's also possible that it could be aggressive. Like it's sort of hard to, to figure that, out what that's it is. That's why I ask because the next line is the momentary tension passed. And on this read, I've never read it this way before, but on this read, because of the juxtaposition, I almost read this as a moment of tension I think the difference, Jordana, is that is context. Quoth wants to be Denna's and Denna's alone. That's all he wants, except for finding out who the Chandrin are and why they killed his parents. That's literally all he wants, to be the only man in her life. So when she says that about him, I think even though he doesn't give us his thoughts about it, which I think is an interesting narrative choice, I think what he is thinking is, oh my God, finally, yes, that's so hot. But... <laughs> Because Denna has said again and again that she does not want to be possessed. She does not want to be somebody's. That if Quoth said that to her, she would take it really badly. Uh, And I think that it's not a simple matter of like, it's sexist for a man to say that. And it's not sexist for a woman to say that. Because I think that all of these things are dependent on context. Some people like that kind of possessiveness. Some people don't view it as like literal possessiveness, but a, but an affectionate gesture, you know, like there are so many different ways to interpret that, that the only thing that matters is the context in which is said and who is saying it to who. So it's not sexist. It's textist. Ah! Yeah, it's Texas. It's what it is. It's, it's, it's the Lone Star <laughs> State, baby. But I think that the, the tension that Quoth is referring to is just like, the earlier tension that resulted from the prom, the you know, from him bringing up her patron and the promise that 
uh, he made. I think that like that the whole like last page and a half or so have been tense. And even though they stopped talking about the patron after he made the promise, until Denna brought him back up, basically, uh, because I think it's probably still weighing on her mind. There's like I I think that part of the reason that she doesn't like it when Cloth brings up her patron is because she doesn't like having to think about him when she's not doing stuff for him. Cloth is her like escape hatch from that part of her life, much in the same way that I get annoyed when I start thinking about work in my off time, you know, I don't want to think about the projects I have to do or the, you know, the deliverables I owe or, you know, how much overtime I'm going to have to pull when I'm off the clock. I don't want to think about that crap. And kind of in the same way, I don't think Denna wants to think about it, but now she's like, it's gnawing at her because I think she does, she doesn't let on to Quoth as much as she can, but I think she does find her patron threatening in some way. And I think that this is her own little moment of rebellion against him. Sure. There's another moment on this page that rings very true to me. And that is when Quoth is concerned that, uh, what if her song isn't any good? What would I say? (laughs) Who amongst us has not gone to see a a friend's show and been like, oh God, I really hope that they're good. Otherwise I'm going to have to fake having liked this. Yeah. Jeremy, I read your book a couple years ago and I was extremely concerned. I was like, oh man, what if, what if it's like, not that great. Like, what am I supposed to say? But uh, I'm pleased to say that I legitimately loved your book. And I occasionally in my private moments, uh, wonder when I will get to read the sequel. But of course, you have to, uh, you know, finish the final draft of your first one first. Uh, Sorry, buddy, can't can't give you a sequel. Best I can do is the new draft of the one you've already read. I'd gladly read that. I suppose I should read your book eventually. Uh, It slaps. Well, thank you. That's very nice to hear. Yeah, there's a lot, on the next couple of pages, there's a lot of very, like, oof in the feels, like, thoughts about being friends with someone who is an artist and wanting to like their art and wanting to be able to say to them that it is good and, like, not knowing how to, like, talk to someone about their art. Because it's a, because it's a very private, personal thing to create art and share it with people and you know especially when it's like in this kind of vulnerable maybe not quite finished not quite polished state it's a real vulnerable moment and i think that nick you were you brought this up earlier and i think it's worth keeping in mind that like denna's probably feeling especially vulnerable sharing this part of her life with both our letter today is from samantha who provides a letter in three parts Part the first, romance and romance novels regarding page 449 and 450. Jordana, I think you should read or listen to romance novels. I recommend A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah Moss as a gateway romance novel because of the captivating storytelling and fantasy elements. Fairies. I always feel a knee-jerk reaction to defend romance novels and chick lit. Who doesn't like sweet literary candy with steamy sexy times? Part the second, I-95 regarding page 451. I was cracking up at the Nikki and the JJ Crew morning show bit because I love listening on my way to work from the Baltimore area towards Washington, D.C. I was on the oft-gridlock, perpetually under construction U.S. Interstate 95 when I listened to this episode. Part the third, bamboozled? I must have missed the explanation of what Jordana drank that was not actually cod liver oil. I try to tune into Sunday streams that we are often running around to various sports ball events for our kids. What did she drink? Thanks for the podcast, you three. Signed, Samantha, a.k.a. Stamina's Thane. Wow. Shall we hit it part by part? Yeah, Jordana, why don't you start by clearing up what exactly happened with the cod liver oil? Uh, so I made it look like 
uh, oil by using an interesting concoction of different food colorings. Uh, and it was mostly water. It was essentially just like a thing of water with a with a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar in it, which is a very normal and healthy thing to have, just by the way. Yeah, it sure is. It's extremely normal. <laughs> um, it is! So I, I feel like we should give the full context. On the episode where Quoth chugs a like a pint of cod liver oil oil. (laughs) and keeps it down long enough to convince the mayor that he's going to keep it down. And then he throws it up later because it's actually gross. Jordana was like, that wouldn't happen. That's not a thing that, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't keep it down and then throw it up. You do one or the other. And so Nick and I were like, okay, prove it. Jordana chug a pint of cod liver oil on the stream and see how long you can keep it down for. Uh, and then Jordana weaseled out because her doctor was like, you might have to go to the hospital. Meh, meh, meh. Meh, meh. It's a pandemic. Meh, meh, Essentially, my doctor was like, I don't know. Actually, she wasn't even my doctor. She was the lady sitting in for my doctor. But she's like, I don't know what will happen to you if you do this. And worst case scenario, you'll end up in Emerge. And I don't want you in Emerge because it's a pandemic. So don't do it. <laughs> Proving once and for all that doctors are cowards. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Safety, cowardice, one and the same. Correct. Uh, <laughs> as for the other parts of your letters three, um, I think it is a straight, a great bit of kismet that you were on the I-95 in the morning when listening to Nikki and the JJ crew in the morning with the update as to the state of the I-95. This was a, mm. a once-in-a-lifetime bit of synchronicity, so cherish it. Uh, and finally, uh, strong supporter of Chicklet, strong supporter of romance novels. I will look into that book. It is not very expensive on the internet, so I will look at it. Once again, that recommendation is A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah Moss, M-A-A-S. And now that we have addressed the letter, I have a thing. Oh, yeah? Yes. So... When we all started uh, the, the the first page of this podcast eons ago, do you guys remember how old you were? No, not offhand. I was probably. <laughs> do you remember if you were? Do you remember if you were thirty yet? I was no. I would have to do some 30. math. Because I, I feel was... like none of us were thirty when we started this. When I started this book, I was. I think I was thirty. When I started the podcast, I was not yet thirty. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. When we started the podcast, in it, in its in its early stages, we were not yet 30. Um, and this is probably the last episode where any of the three of us will be 30 or will be less than 30. Oh, is your we, birthday because tomorrow? Because I'm, yeah, I'm turning 30 tomorrow. Oh Damn. my God. How come I didn't We're all going to be 30 plus in a day. Oh, <laughs> well, by the time this episode comes out, we'll have, you'll have been 30 for what will feel like a lifetime. Uh, no, that's oh, great, not true. Great. No, no, no. I, you know what? I, I want to lock that back. Not even as a bit. Um, I, I don't think it's helpful to like keep on doing the joke where like, oh, being thirty is rough. Honestly, my early thirties were way better than my late twenties. Um, in a very real way, my life like started, uh, in, as opposed to my late twenties where it was sort of collapsing. So, thirties uh, uh, are great. You're gonna have a great time, Jordana. I'm excited, I'm excited. for you to take this next step. Yep, feeling like a real adult. <laughs> Jordana, you are a real adult. And we'll be all real adults tomorrow. On another page of the Wii. Wii.